evening will come from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Back at the beginning of, well, at the end of last year, I spent several days thinking about and praying about and just considering some lessons that we needed as a congregation, I thought in 2023, to focus on. And so this entire year is scripted out in a number of sermon series. And so tonight we're starting a new one. We started a new one this morning. We walked different about different phrases that are gonna change the way we live, the change the, the way we react and interact with the world around us. For the next three Sunday nights, we're going to be talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just that chapter. Open your Bibles there if you've not already done so. The series is entitled Resurrection Hope. And what 1 Corinthians 15 does it explains the resurrection of the dead. This is a foundational Christian doctrine. You cannot love God, serve God, and go to heaven without believing in this doctrine. It's that important. It is a doctrine that is so foundational that it has implications for our salvation, for where we're going to spend eternity. It has implications for how we live our lives. If you're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, the key to the whole chapter is found in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. How is it that some of you are saying there is no resurrection of the dead? In Corinth, there were teachers that were standing up in the church and they were teaching the congregation in Corinth 2,000 years ago that the dead are not coming back. How can you say that? And then the moral implications of it are found in verse 32. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32, if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection, then let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there is no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then we might as well just live it up. Why bother trying to serve Jesus? Why bother trying to be a Christian at all? I am fascinated with genealogy. I always have been. I'm fascinated by my ancestors, by my roots. And one of the, one of the greatest websites that's ever been invented is called findagrave.com. If you've not visited that website, findagrave.com, there are people all over the world, but especially this country, that go out into cemeteries, they do this as a labor of love, and they take photographs of every single gravestone in that cemetery. And if you know where your loved one, where your ancestor is buried, there is probably a photo of their headstone, of their gravestone, on the internet, on findagrave.com. 
And I've been doing a lot of research about my ancestors, where they buried. I didn't know a lot about where they all were and, and, and where they, uh, you know, they died. And one husband was buried here, but his wife lived many, many years and she was buried in a different place in a different cemetery. And I found some of those things. But did you know one of the things that I see very frequently on my ancestors' gravestones? I see phrases like this, just sleeping, at peace with God. That's my granddad's. My grandmother's says, she fought a good fight, she finished her race and won. We buried those people, somebody buried those people in the ground and they put on their headstones, just sleeping, they're coming back, we're gonna see them again. Because they believe this doctrine that the dead are going to rise one day. I believe that too. The Bible says you can't be a Christian without believing that. That's what sets Christians apart from every other world religion. The fact that we believe that Jesus rose and the fact that we believe that the dead are going to rise one day. It's a different way of looking at life and it changes everything about how we live. We believe that everybody that has ever lived is going to come out of the graves one day, all the way from Adam and Eve and Seth and, and Enoch and Abraham and the people in Genesis to the Israelites who perished in the wilderness during the wanderings to all those kings of Israel and Judah and all the Gentiles that lived in those days. We believe all those people are going to rise from the graves one day, not just them, more modern people as well. People such as Peter the Great and Alexander the Great and Herod the Great and Ramses the Great, all those kings, you can go to the museums and see their mighty works. They're coming back one day as well, the Bible teaches. And not just them, but all the ordinary people that time has forgotten, all of them, everybody will one day rise from the dead. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. And there are three stages in this chapter, three sections, if you want to think of it this way, in the outline of this chapter. And let me share them with you. These are the basis for our three lessons. Paul is talking to a congregation 2,000 years ago where some of the people are teaching actively in the Bible classes, there is no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. And so here's what he does. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. The first thing he does in 1 Corinthians 15, he takes the first 19 verses and he proves with apologetics, Jesus is risen from the dead. I appreciate the songs you've led tonight, Michael. All of them had to do with resurrection, if you noticed. All of them had to do with Jesus' resurrection specifically. Jesus is risen from the dead. More about that in just a moment. But then... It's not just the fact that Jesus is risen, it's the fact that the resurrection of Jesus guarantees you and I will one day rise from the dead. There is a strong connection between the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of everybody else. That's next week's lesson, Lord willing, verses 20 through 34. And then finally, verses 35 through 58, the question is asked, how are the dead raised? With what body do they come? And he deals with that question in some detail, but not as much as we'd like in verses 35 through 58. The dead are going to rise one day. Every time I walk through a cemetery, I think about that. Every time I pass a cemetery, I think about that. One day, those people that are buried there are not going to be there anymore. The Bible tells us that, and it's our hope. Resurrection hope.
With tonight's lesson, we're just going to do this. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19. And the apostle is, he's adamant that we must understand the importance of this doctrine. So what he does is he spends 19 verses of this chapter reminding and proving with apologetic arguments that Jesus is risen from the dead. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot go to heaven without believing this is true. As a matter of fact, if you reject this doctrine, if you reject this idea and this teaching of the resurrection of the dead, if you reject that, you might as well just give up trying to be a Christian. That's what it says. And so how do we know that Jesus is risen from the dead? Because his resurrection guarantees everybody else's. And then we'll talk at the, at the third lesson about how the dead are raised, raised three weeks from now, two weeks from now. Let's look at what he says about Jesus' resurrection. Looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want you to notice three arguments that Paul makes in verses 1 through 19 about the resurrection of Jesus. Here we go. The first argument he makes to prove that Jesus has risen from the dead is the argument from authority, verses one through four. Jordan Tanner read this for us just a moment ago. I would remind you, brethren, he says in verse, verse one of chapter 15, I would remind you of the good news, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if, if, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you. Because I talked to you about the resurrection. Hold fast to that unless you believed in vain, he says in verse 2. What Paul is getting at here is if we do not believe in the resurrection of the dead, in the first place, we are abandoning the gospel itself. Hold on to the gospel I preached to you. You heard it. You agreed with it. I told you I was not shy about this. When you read through the book of Acts, you know what got people in trouble in the book of Acts? It was the preaching of the resurrection of the dead. Go through and read those sermons in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, as early as that time. And then again in Acts 17, when they went to Athens and Paul preaches about the resurrection of the dead. That's when he lost his audience in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, when he talked about how God's appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. And he's gonna, he's gonna guarantee that that day will happen by raising his son from the dead. That's when the Athenians checked out on Paul. We don't believe this. We're abandoning the gospel, brothers and sisters and friends. If we say there is no resurrection of the dead, and Paul's saying to those Christians, he's saying, if you want to remain a Christian, if you want to still be saved, unless you believed in vain, you must hold on to the things you received and heard from me. I am an apostle. I know what I'm talking about because God's been communicating directly with me, Paul says. And you must hold on to this message which you've received. It's an authoritative argument. You are abandoning the gospel that the apostles preached if you reject this doctrine. But not only that, look at verses 3 and 4. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. What's of first importance, Paul? Here it is. Of first importance is the fact that Christ died for our sins. Now watch this, argument from authority, in accordance with the Scriptures. That Jesus was buried, verse 4, that he was raised on the third day, watch this again, in accordance with the Scriptures. If we reject the resurrection of the dead, we are defying the Scriptures themselves. And you know what Scriptures he has in mind? The Old Testament. 
The New Testament has plenty to say about the resurrection, but he's talking about the Old Testament. Think about it. In verse 3, he talks about Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. You can go to a lot of New Te- Old Testament passages to talk about that. Isaiah 53 comes to mind. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. God laid our stripes upon him. He was bruised for our iniquities. He died for us. Psalm 22 comes to mind. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was raised according to the scriptures as well. Psalm 16 verses 9 through 11 come to mind. They used that psalm, Psalm 16, 9 through 11, frequently in the book of Acts when they preached about the resurrection of Jesus. You will not leave my soul in Hades. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. The dead will rise one day because Jesus, it was prophesied, was going to rise from the dead one day. And so the argument that Paul makes is an argument from authority. You're rejecting apostolic authority if you reject this doctrine and you're rejecting the scriptures themselves if you reject this doctrine. The second argument goes like this. First one is authoritative. The second one is an argument from witnesses. Look at verses five through 11 of 1 Corinthians 15. Verses five through 11. Not only did the apostles preach the resurrection, not only did the scriptures uphold the idea of the resurrection, but people have seen Jesus risen from the dead. We know Jesus rose from the dead because there were people living 2,000 years ago that were still alive and they had seen the Lord risen. Notice what happens as you look at verses 5 through 11. The phrase, he appeared, talking about Jesus happens over and over and over. It's there in verse five, it's verse six, verse seven, verse eight. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared. Jesus came out of that tomb. He left the tomb empty. You remember the clothes were folded very neatly and just left there on the place where they had placed his body. Just just burial garments. Body is gone, the stone is rolled away and the angels appear and they say, he is risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? And people had seen that with their own eyes. Who saw it? Paul talks about who saw it. He calls Cephas' name, Peter's name in verse five. He appeared to Cephas and not only him, he appeared to the 12. We're talking about the apostles here. He showed up on a number of occasions there. Then look at this in verse six. Jesus appeared, it says, to more than 500 people at once. 500 brethren. And Paul goes on to mention most of them are still alive, even though some have fallen asleep. Interesting euphemism that Paul uses there. The Bible does that fairly frequently, only sleeping. They're dead. They've fallen asleep. But here's the point. The point is, 2,000 years ago, if somebody wanted to falsify the Christian doctrine that the dead will rise one day, all they had to do is go find these witnesses and ask them what they saw. And it only takes one to say, you know what, I lied. Never really happened. But they never did falsify. All those witnesses went to their graves saying, I have seen the risen Lord. I have seen Jesus. I put my fingers in his nail-scarred hands. I put my hand in his side. And as Thomas proclaimed in John 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God, we've seen him. We've eaten with him. We've listened to him. More than 500 people at one occasion. That's more than are in this room. That's more than this room could probably hold. I know, the, I know they say it's supposed to hold like 750. Probably not. But 
Having said that, Jesus appeared to a whole lot of people. We're not talking about mass hysteria here, the argument from witnesses. He appeared, verse 7, to James and the apostles. And then verses 8 through 11, he appeared last of all to me, Paul says. When did Jesus appear to Paul? Road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Jesus appeared and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then the Bible indicates that Paul had many occasions when he communed with the risen Lord in the subsequent days and months and years. Jesus appeared to Paul on a number of occasions in visions. Jesus said, I've, Paul said, I've seen Jesus risen from the dead. And the argument goes like this. How can you guys in Corinth say that there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead when so many people have seen him and you can go find those people and you can talk to them and you can know. Listen to me. Our faith, brothers and sisters, is not built on myths and fables and stories and fantasies. Our faith is built on historically verifiable facts. It is built on reality. And the Bible goes to tremendous lengths to prove that what God says is true is true. And so you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt because these witnesses went to their graves proclaiming a risen Lord, he is risen from the dead. We're rejecting apostolic authority, we're rejecting the scriptures, and we're rejecting the testimony of witnesses who were honest people if we say that Jesus is not risen. And then there's a third argument. The third argument Paul makes is in verses 12 through 19. It's an argument from logic. An argument from logic. It's just logical. If the dead are not risen, look at verse 12. If Christ is proclaimed that, that uh, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is, and what Paul does beginning in verse 13 is he kind of takes a hypothetical. Well, okay, for the sake of argument, verse 13, let's just say for a moment that there is no resurrection of the dead. What would be the implications of that? That's the argument from logic. And here are the implications in the unfolding verses. If the dead do not rise, then the following must be true. If nobody rises from the dead, if all those gravestones are lying, here's what must be true. Number one, Jesus himself is not risen. Because if the dead don't rise, then Jesus couldn't have logic, right? It makes sense, doesn't it? But I just spent time, Paul says, proving to you that not only did the Old Testament scriptures say he was going to rise from the dead, not only did these witnesses see him risen from the dead, if, he does, if he's not risen from the dead, I mean, if, if the dead don't rise, then he's not risen from the dead. Christ is not risen. Next, like dominoes falling one after the other after the other. And if Christ is not risen, then watch this. Our preaching is empty, verse 14. The message we're preaching, the things we're telling people that God has said, those things are empty, they're vain. Someone has said it this way, Christianity without the resurrection is like a car without an engine. It may look pretty, but it's not gonna take you anywhere. Christianity without the resurrection is like a peanut without the nut inside. Have you ever had that happen to you? You pick up a peanut and you crack it open, there's no nut inside. That's what Christianity without the resurrection is like. It's empty, it's disappointing, it's vain. The, the things we preach, why even do it? And not only is our preaching empty, but because preaching is empty and preaching is what produces faith, Romans 10, 17, then our faith is empty. You're believing in lies. You're believing in empty things. You are 
part of a lost cause if the dead do not rise. There are a lot of lost causes in this world. I don't want to be a part of any of them. Our faith is empty and vain if the dead do not rise, Paul argues. Not only that, but if our faith is empty and vain, listen to this, we are liars. Who's a liar, Paul, verses 15 and 16? Who's a liar? Paul would say, I'm a liar because I just told you in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, that the, dead, the, 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 the Lord is risen from the dead. I told you that. I believe that. I've been telling everybody that. I'm a liar if that's true. And not only that, think about this. If the dead do not rise, even Jesus himself is a liar. John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus said, the hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear my voice and will rise. Those who have done good to a resurrection of life, those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. Even Jesus was lying if the dead do not rise. Argument from logic. If the dead do not rise, not only is your faith vain and empty, not only are you a liar, but we are still in our sin. Romans 4.25 tells us that Jesus was raised for our justification. He was raised so that we might be justified, we might be saved. Yes, he died for our sins. Yes, his blood that was spilled on the cross provides atonement and it cleanses us, but his resurrection provides justification and cleansing for us as well. And if the dead are not raised, we're still sinners. We're still living in sin. There is no forgiveness that's possible if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And then Paul caps it off with these two phrases. He says, if the dead do not rise, then the righteous dead have perished, verse 18. The Bible contradicts itself because it says in Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, comfort one another. Don't mourn as those who have no hope. The righteous dead have perished if the dead do not rise. Who's willing to believe that? And then finally, if the dead do not rise, verse 19, we are of all men most miserable. Christianity is a miserable way to live if there is nothing beyond the grave. Because we suffer and we hurt and we sing songs like, this world is not my home. And we're lying and we're empty and there's nothing to it if there is no resurrection of the dead. And we're miserable if that's the way we're living our lives. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He lied, if that's true, if, if, the, if the dead do not rise, to die is gain. To depart and to be with Christ is far better. Philippians 1 verse 23, it's what he said. If the dead do not rise, all these things are true instead. And so in 19 verses, what the apostle does is to convince his hearers, his audience, that when we say there is no resurrection of the dead, we got to do something with Jesus because he rose from the dead. It was prophesied, he was seen, and logically, if there is no resurrection from the dead, what are you going to do with all of those implications as a Christian? 
we believe that the dead will rise one day. We believe that all who are in the graves are going to hear the Lord's voice. And we believe that all of us will one day stand before the judgment bar of God. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, to receive the things done in our bodies. It's a foundational Christian doctrine. And I dare say it's one that we probably have not thought enough about in recent years. This world, this world is not our home. We're going to live somewhere else forever. My question for you tonight is this. If Jesus is risen, that guarantees that you're going to rise from the dead and everybody else is one day as well. Where are you going to be forever? What are you going to do with the life that God has given you? Because this world is temporary. Heaven is eternal. If you need to obey the gospel tonight, repent and be baptized, be immersed so that you can be a child of God, so that you can live with him forever. If we can help you with that, to obey the gospel, if we can help you by praying for you, whatever your need is, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.